Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Churches podcast, where we are committed to building irresistible bridges between the unchurched and Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Okay, quick survey. How many of you are PSL people? Any fans of the pumpkin spice latte out there? For me, as soon as September hits, I'm all over a grande, one pump, non-fat, no whip, 180 degree pumpkin spice latte, which for me only serves as the appetizer or the palate preparer for my favorite drink, which comes out in December, the gingerbread latte. Oh, I love the gingerbread latte. I gotta tell you, look, my waist gets wider and my wallet gets thinner between September and December, okay? Hashtag sweatpants. Look, I love this time of year and not just because of the pumpkin spice latte or because I love Star Wars and this is the time of year when all the girls dress up like Han Solo. Okay, look, I love this time of year for a lot of different reasons, but I'll be honest and say, I'll be honest and say there was a time that I didn't. And not because the air starts getting cooler or because the days are getting longer, but because it was time to go back to school. Now, I didn't hate school growing up, but I hated going back to school. See, every September, it forced me to get up out of my bed, my ability to to sleep until noon. You remember remember those days? Oh, to be a teenager again, right? Look, September forced me to get up out of my comfort, and it pushed me out the door into uncertainty. Now, I love September now, but I didn't always. Isn't it funny how time, how seasons change? And you know what else is funny? Well, I don't feel the way I used to about September. My son Parker is going to start feeling the way that I used to about September. See, this week our little guy started kindergarten. Look at him. Isn't he cute? (laughs) Like Lisa and I just embarked on a journey that we're going to be on for the next 13 years, listening to our son complain about school and fighting to get him up out of bed to get him there. Yay. If you're a parent, be honest. Were you at all like the couple in that video that we just watched together? I mean, maybe you didn't do the salsa when your kids left. I'm sure you didn't do that. But was there at least a little part of you that was glad to see them get back on the bus? I mean, look, I know, I know you love your kids, but absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? (laughs) Look, while most parents look forward to this time for their kids to get back into some sort of routine for many children and teenagers, it's not that for them. It's a season of transition. Transition, think about it. New halls, new classrooms, new teachers, new schools. See, here's the thing. Transitions are inevitable, but transitions aren't easy. Transitions are inevitable, not just for kids and teenagers. Transitions are inevitable for all of us. But they aren't easy, are they? See, it doesn't matter your age or your stage. Transitions are only easy when you aren't the one making them. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? And you know what else is true? The further you are away from a transition that you made once, the easier it seems it should be for someone else to make it. Isn't that true? Why is that? Because you know what's on the other side of that transition, don't you? You know that the transition they are making is nothing compared to the transitions that lie ahead of them. Because you've been there, the transitions they're making today are nothing compared to the ones that they're going to have to make someday down the road. Isn't it funny how quickly we forget? Isn't it funny how quickly we can minimize the transitions in other people's lives because of how far we are away from them? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm at a stage in life where there are a lot of different transitionings happening under my roof and in my home. As I mentioned, Lisa and I just sent our son to school, and we have no idea how he's going to react or how he's going to respond. We don't even know how to respond. We don't even know how we feel about our little boys growing up too fast. I mean, we don't know how to help him through some of the things that he's going to have to face this year and the years to follow. 
We sent him off as best we could this week. We, we sent him off with as much as we could think of, but we still aren't sure if we got the right stuff. I mean, we don't know. My, my daughter, Emma, is two years away from finishing high school, and we have to navigate how to help her transition into the next phase of her education and her life, and it's terrifying. I mean, it's a wild, big world out there. I'm in the midst of leading our team and our church community through a transition, which we're gonna be talking about in a series we're beginning next week called Changing Lanes. I hope that you'll be here for that. I'm so excited to talk about that and share that with you because there's so much in store for us as a church and I can't wait to talk to you about that and experience it with you, so be here next week. But look, when it comes to transition, and you know this, you know this, but when it comes to transition, it's not enough to know those things or know that those transitions are coming, is it? It's not enough. See, when Parker was born, I knew that eventually he'd go to school. When Emma started school, I knew that one day she'd finish. When I took this job, I knew that we'd face all kinds of changes and challenges as we try to fulfill our mission and our vision. See, for me, and this is true for you, when it comes to transitions, it's not enough to know those things are coming. I have to be ready, right? And in order to be ready for those things, I have to be conscious now, I have to take action now so that I can ensure that I am as prepared as I can possibly be for what I know is coming next. But for me, at many times in my life, and maybe you can relate to this, we aren't always ready for what's ahead of us, are we? Why is that? Because knowing what's coming and being prepared for what's coming are two different things. Knowing what's coming and being prepared for what's coming are two different things. See. You might know what season is coming in your life. You might be aware of a shift or a transition that's about to happen or is happening, but that doesn't mean that you're ready for it. Maybe you're a parent, and it's not just that your kids are going back to school, but maybe they're going through a significant change in age and stage. Maybe you've just gotten a new job, or maybe you've just started out on your career path. Maybe you've just recently retired, or, or, or maybe you're a first-time homeowner. Or maybe you've just left home and you're out on your own for the first time and renting for the first time. Or maybe you just got a roommate for the first time. Oh, I, I hated those days. But look, maybe, maybe you're newlywed or maybe you've just gotten remarried. Maybe you've just gotten engaged or maybe you're recently divorced. See, it doesn't matter your age or your stage. Transitions are inevitable and transitions aren't easy. And just because you got your child new clothes and you picked up those organic sugar-free apple raspberry fruit snacks, which are gross by the way, just because you got the promotion or the new office, just because you or your child has what they need for this year or knows a transition is happening or coming, it doesn't necessarily mean that they or you are ready for this transition to happen. One of the greatest ways, one of the greatest ways to be prepared for what is in front of us, the inevitable transitions in life, one of the best ways to be prepared for whatever is next is by leaning into the wisdom and experience of those who have walked before us. To be wise enough to leverage the reality that your tomorrow is someone's yesterday. As the old saying goes, there isn't anything new under the sun. Your tomorrow is someone's yesterday. So one of the best things you and I can do to get ready for a transition, to get ready for what is ever next, one of the best things you and I can do is to lean into the experience of those who have been there. Now, look, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. You're like, wow, I'm so glad I jumped online today, Scott. I mean, tell me something I didn't know. And you're right. But here's what I know. Knowing what is wise and doing what is wise, they're two different things. Very few ask, very few listen, 
Many fool themselves into thinking because they know what's next somehow means they're ready for what's next. But see, wisdom isn't knowing what's next. Wisdom isn't knowing what's next. Wisdom is doing something now so that you're prepared for what you know is next. And failure to do that leads to costly mistakes. Mistakes that cost energy, money, influence, and most importantly, time. And that's why we encourage you constantly to read your Bible. Your life is in there, and I see it in my life more and more. You know, I've read the Bible cover to cover numerous times, and it's amazing to me how I can read the same passages over and over, and depending on where I am in life, the season I'm in, the transitions that I'm going through, something I've read a 100 times before can in an instant be exactly what I need in that moment. It becomes new to me that what is familiar can become fresh. Second Timothy is a book that I've read, I don't know how many times, but in this current season of my life, specifically as I prepare for the transitions happening in my life and in the life of our church, this particular portion of scripture has become new, fresh, and powerful to me. Second Timothy is the second of two letters written by Paul to a young man in the ministry whose name was Bueller, <laughs> Timothy, right. So this letter allows us the opportunity to eavesdrop on one of the great patriarchs of the New Testament in the final days of his life, Paul. Now you may know who I'm talking about when I talk about Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. And not to take anything away from Jesus, who was the author and the finisher of our faith, the man who conquered sin and death, the one who birthed the church, not to take anything away from Jesus. But without Paul, we wouldn't understand what to do with what Jesus did or with what he started. See, a great deal of what Paul wrote is the application of what Jesus lived out. And Paul gives us guidelines as to how the church should function as we seek to honor Jesus and share the gospel message with those around us. So much of what we do today in church and as followers of Jesus, so much of what we do today is because of the wisdom and the insight that Paul gave us. And that same Paul, that Paul, is about to go away. The sentence has come down and Paul is to be beheaded at the hands of the Romans. In the last days, he writes this letter to Timothy who he'd been mentoring in the ministry. And as he writes, Paul's time is winding down and he knows as a result, Timothy's time is beginning. So Paul writes to share wisdom with him and to challenge him. And you have to remember, Paul's words carried weight. When he needed to deal with an issue in a city, he didn't have to be there. He just sent a letter, letters we still lean into today. Now, I can relate to Timothy in a new way due to this season of my life. See, like Timothy, I was fortunate to be mentored by a great man of the faith. The previous lead pastor of this church, Alan Summers, he's more than a father-in-law to me. For eight years, he was my pastor, my leader. And as I served under him, he poured his heart and his mind into me more than he knows. And graciously, he still speaks into my life today. So while I'm not a fan of Birkenstocks, one thing I can relate to Timothy on is how blessed it is to have someone in your life that you you can aspire to be like. So this Paul, Paul is about to leave and we will never see anyone quite like him again. Paul sees that death is on the horizon and so he takes the luxury that only the dying can take in the final moments of their life. He takes the opportunity to ramble. Normally when I preach, I I take a certain portion of scripture and I focus on it as opposed to jumping all over the place with a bunch of different verses to support a point. That's what I normally do. But you can't do that here. Well, you can't do that easily. So what I want to do is I want to read you a portion of the letter and I want to share with you what it says to me. And at the end, I want to share what I believe it says to all of us, no matter what is next for you. 
Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. He says to Timothy, preach the word of God. Preach the word of God. He goes on and he says, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Another translation of this text says, be prepared in season and out of season. You may have heard that. He says, preach the word of God, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Those are three big words there. And Paul says, as you do them, you have to be patient. In other words, you can't do those things quickly, but you must do them for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Instead, they're gonna follow their own desires and they're gonna look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears wanna hear. Paul says the time is coming. I say the time has come. A time when people will find people who will tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. They'll surround themselves with people who will affirm their bad ideas, poor choices, wrong motives, or misguided ideologies, or inaccurate theology. Paul prophesies and he says they will reject the truth and they're going to chase after myths. They'll chase after things that sound good. They'll chase after things that they want to be true but aren't true. Paul says that's what they'll do. But you, you should keep a clear mind in every situation. In other words, you can't do anything about what others do, but you, you keep a clear head and don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Don't be afraid of suffering. See, most of us try to avoid suffering, don't we? I mean, at all cost. Think about this. Paul, a man who was sitting around waiting to be beheaded, says, don't be afraid to suffer for the Lord. Instead, work, work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. You be you. Oh, Timothy, you aren't Paul. Oh, Scott, you aren't Alan Summers. You be you. Fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. You aren't Alan Summers. You aren't Craig Rochelle, who we heard from last week, who was so amazing. He says, fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Don't strut around in skinny pants and plaid shirts trying to be relevant. You can have the title or the look, but that doesn't make you a leader. You can have an office, but that doesn't mean you have wisdom. You can have followers on social media, but that doesn't mean you have integrity behind closed doors or that you are a leader worth following. Fully carry out what God has given you to do and do it fully. Give everything you have to being what God has put in you to do as opposed to trying to imitate someone else. Paul says, Timothy, the world doesn't need more of me. My time is past. It's your time. As for me, Paul says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. And poured out as an offering to God is reminiscent of the drink offering that was poured out on the altar as a sacrifice unto God. It was poured out until you finally got to the last few drops and the cup was offered up. He's saying, I've poured myself out. I'm down to the last drops, the last drops of influence, the, the last drops of wisdom. He says, the time of my death is near and I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I've remained faithful. And now, now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, he's going to give it to me on the day of his return. And this prize, Paul says, this prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. See, there's a price to be paid to come into what God has for you. There's a price to doing what is right. And I take Paul's words to Timothy to heart today. 
See, it's not about whether I preach good, it's did I fight good? Paul said, I fought a good fight, I've kept the faith. See, it's easy to keep the faith when nothing is pulling or pushing against it. But when you walk into a world or when you walk into an office or a classroom with different concepts and ideologies and beliefs, Paul said, I've kept the faith. He says, and the reward for that type of perseverance isn't just for pastors. Paul says that that reward, that that prize is for all who keep the faith, for all who fight and persevere and don't give up. As I said, this letter It's all over the place. And in the midst of this passionate encouragement to Timothy, in the midst of all the leadership challenges he speaks to, Paul shifts and he opens up and he says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Please come as soon as you can. And you can feel the weight of this vulnerable request when you understand their relationship history. We know that Paul was stoned and left for dead outside a place called Lystra. And it's believed by many scholars that it was Timothy, a young teenager, who took the broken body of Paul and took him home to his mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois, and they nursed Paul back to health. And it was during that season that God saved and called Timothy, and Timothy became a partner to Paul in spreading the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, into the known world at that time. Now, If you've ever experienced significant adversity in your life and you were fortunate enough to have people walk through it with you, you know that the bonds that are built in the midst of adversity, you know they're not easily broken, are they? So in the waning moments of his life, Paul writes this letter to Timothy and he asks him to come and to be with him before he dies. He's alone and he doesn't want to die alone. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And he asks, bring Mark with you with, when you come because he's going to help me in my ministry. He also says, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Paul, this, this hero of the faith and the face of the early church, faced the end of his life with very few close friends. I mean, he lists them here. He's facing adversity and in the heart of adversity. Isn't it true? You want someone close to you, don't you? You want someone you can count on. The sentences had come down. Paul is to be beheaded. He says, I'm ready to be offered up. The the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I, I finished the course. I ran the race. I've kept the faith. I've persevered. It's as if in this moment in time, it explodes in front of him and he realizes with death being imminent, he wants someone alongside of him that he can count on. He wants his young friend in the ministry, Timothy, to be with him and to bring him some things. He says, when you come, when you come, be sure to bring the coat that I left with Carpus at Troas. See, the air was getting colder, and he says, bring my cloak, a cloak with stains of history, specks of sand from the desert, blood stains from beatings. It was cold in Rome in the winter. He says, also, bring my books, and especially bring my papers. He says, bring my books, never stop learning. Bring the parchments. I still have a lot to say. I mean, we wouldn't have over half the New Testament if it wasn't for Paul. And then he shifts. He shifts again in his thinking, and he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. But as true as that is, he says, be careful of him, for he fought against everything that we said. He transitions again. He says, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me, but may it not be counted against them. Even still, the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he, meaning God, rescued me from certain death. Yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack, and he's going to bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. 
Paul says, watch out. Watch out, people are gonna be people. They're gonna do and say things that are gonna hurt you. Yet as true as that is, Paul still reveals somehow his character and God, his character of person, his attitude that we should have in the midst of these kind of moments. I mean, despite what did and didn't happen, Paul says the glory for all that happens. I don't know how he said this, but it's God's. And then another shift. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of one Sephorus. Erastus stayed at Corinth and I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. He lists a bunch of baby names. Then he says, do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends you his greetings, and so do Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. May the Lord be with you in spirit, and may his grace be with all of you. What a letter. It's all over the place, right? It's the ramblings of a man who sees the end, and yet it's a letter filled with conviction, heartache, truth, and a challenge. A challenge to Timothy, and a challenge to you and to me. Paul said to Timothy, Do your best to come before winter. Paul is about to be executed by the Romans and he calls to Timothy across the seas, please come see me before it's over. Do your best to get here before winter. See, in the wintertime, the sea lines would close and if Timothy waited, he'd almost certainly, he wouldn't get there in time. See, this was a heartfelt request and Timothy, as a result, had to make a critical decision. Paul's challenge to Timothy was for personal comfort to be sure, but my guess is in light of all that we know of Paul, my guess is his challenge had more to do with Timothy than it did his own personal agenda. See, Paul knew that with him leaving, Timothy would step into the light and step up to take the mantle. So Paul is saying to Timothy, look, I'm not going to be around much longer. I'm about to be poured out, offered up. So be sure you get every last drop. The time is now. Come before winter. Come before it's too late. Paul wanted to pour every ounce of what he had left into Timothy and ultimately through his writing into you and into me. Paul's challenge to Timothy is to you and I as well. He says, come before winter. See, it's not enough to know what season of life or what transition is in front of you. Knowing what's next doesn't mean you're ready for what's next. You have to get all you can while you can. God has put people in your life, as Paul was to Timothy, to pour into your life to prepare you for what is next for you. So let me ask you, if you know what's in front of you, are you a sponge? Are you soaking up every ounce of wisdom and experience you can from those in front or above you? If you're down the road of life a ways, can you be like Paul to a Timothy in your life? Can you pour every last drop into their life? Maybe you're a senior and you think you have nothing left to give. I assure you that's a lie and I beg you not to listen to it. Come before winter. Come alongside someone who is just starting out on a road that you've been down and poor. See, time doesn't stop for anybody. It doesn't pause. It doesn't turn. It has the same rhythm. Every day, every night, every moment, while you're worrying, while you're making excuses, You're running, running out of time. Come before winter. Get all you can. Give all you can before it's too late. When God gives you special people, you have to get all you can from them while you can or else winter will come and you'll miss it. 
I mentioned my father-in-law was the previous lead pastor here at the bridge, and I'm so honored to have been mentored by him and then to be able to build on everything that he did here. Lately, I've been doing some reflecting, and what's so amazing to me is that Alan's father, Mervyn Summers, Mr. Summers, he was an incredible, faithful man of God, and he was also a pastor. And while I did have the opportunity to meet him and spend some time with him, sadly, Alzheimer's robbed me of the chance to get to know Mr. Summers the way the rest of his family did. But, but his ministry and his influence on my life, it is deeply felt. How? Because he poured it into his son. I have learned from Mr. Summers, though I didn't have the honor of knowing him. What he poured into his son was poured into me, and I pray that I will honor them both by pouring into my son and my daughter, that they will be prepared for what is next for them because of what I got from them. When people ask me about the Bible and they talk about it being hard to read, one of the questions I get a lot is, if the Bible was meant to give us everything we need and if God wanted it all to be in there, why does he waste so much time including all these boring genealogies, all these names, so-and-so, from so-and-so, you turn the page, from so-and-so, on and on it go. It's so boring. Why? Why is it in there? Why is that important? He's trying to show you how it got poured out. Poured out poured out, poured out, how it came to you from generation to generation to you. Knowing what's next isn't enough. There are people in your life, even now, who can prepare you now, but it's up to you to get all you can while you can. And and, and you know what? We have to get this right because there's so much at stake. You being ready for what's next isn't even about you because you are pouring into the others, even now, whether you realize it or not, and they need you to be the person you need to be so they can become the person they need to be for someone else. Kids are back to school, but all of us are in transition. Winter is coming, there is a shift coming, and we are next, so don't wait, because if you wait too long, you can miss your chance. Come before winter. Be a Timothy and rush to a Paul. Be a Paul and pour into a Timothy. We have some exciting days ahead to experience as a church, and we're going to begin a series next week talking about that. But here's the thing. I can talk about that all day long. Believe me, I can. But we can't do what we need to do together without you becoming who you were created and called to be. So get on the phone today. Set up a coffee date. Invite someone over. Come before winter. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, you're looking for ways to take your next step, please visit us on our website, bridgechurches.ca. Much love. God bless.